Hi, everyone. Happy to have you along with us today. Uh, later on the hour, uh, we're going to have our regular mortgage and staging tips of the week. But if there's one thing we get a whole bunch of questions about when working with buyers and sellers, it's questions relating to real estate law. So I'm excited to have in studio with us today, real estate lawyer Robert Milson. He's here to help answer a whole bunch of questions for us, whether it be about what happens in the background of a real estate transaction or tips on how to have as smooth a transaction as possible on closing day. We'll cover it all. And if you have any questions you'd like answered during the show, feel free to send them my way by email at dan at dangemis.com. Or if you can call uh, the studio as well, that's always better. Uh, you can call us direct at 519-792-2559. That's 519-792-CKLW. Great to have you with us today, Mr. Milson. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. I'm super excited to have you uh, on the show today. So why don't you start by uh, by telling us a bit about yourself? <laughs> do we far, have enough time this hour? Yeah, or is that, yeah. How yeah. far back do you, how bored do you want to be? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's early in the morning, so people have slept. All right. It's all right. Tell us about yourself. Well, I grew up in Tecumseh, and uh, like most kids in Tecumseh, I worked at Green Giant, worked at the canning plant for many years. The good part of that was it gave me the money to go to school. So I went to the University of Toronto, undergrad in law school, and uh, had a choice then. I could stay in Toronto or come back to Windsor came back to Windsor, and that just turned out to be a great decision. But I like living here, uh, like the city, like the people, and uh, my friends who stayed in Toronto are still complaining about traffic jams. <laughs> no so, kidding. So I'm, I'm glad I'm back here. So you've been in business about five years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 39 years. 39 years. Well, it sounds like a really big number. The, the good news is I started when I was really young. Like I really yep, did. Yep. That I graduated from law school when I was 22, so I started practicing law when I was 24, and that was a bit of a problem because I looked like I was 12. Yeah. But I don't. I don't have that problem anymore. I had the same problem when I first got into business into real estate, and people kept saying, "Wow, you look like you're 12." <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard at, at the very beginning because you're supposed to look wise and yeah. have people trust you, and and uh, even though you can do the job. When you look like you're 12, it's hard. It's hard, no doubt. Now, just like I have the most amazing team behind me that helps uh, keep our business running, you also have great people that work with you every day. Why don't you tell us about uh, those team members? I'm really lucky. Uh, just got a great staff. Uh, Kit handles most of the residential real estate, and Robin looks after corporate and commercial. And my wife, Gail, uh, works at the office regularly, and she does some corporate and uh, our bookkeeping and and administrative work. And without those people, the, the work wouldn't get done and uh, it just wouldn't happen. I, I depend on them completely. I always tell you, Bob, every time we have a client uh, that utilizes your services, they all absolutely love your team. They have a great experience every time. Well, thank you. We, we try hard. Uh, we want people to have a, a good experience and uh, just being available and, and being able to uh, have that communication back and forth, it helps them greatly. It also helps us. Uh, very often you'll see a problem coming uh, that you wouldn't see if you hadn't talked to the yeah. client. And uh, if you get two or three weeks to solve the problem, usually you can solve it. If it comes up six hours before closing, it's, uh, it gets much more yes. difficult to solve. It does, doesn't it? Now, it's quite often that when working with buyers and sellers, they're surprised that a lawyer is needed to complete the transaction. So can you give us a broad overview of exactly why a lawyer is needed in, in a real estate transaction? 
Well, lawyers have really been uh, designated now the gatekeepers of uh, the registration system so that uh, lawyers have uh, uh, particular licenses and uh, passwords to get into uh, the Terranet system to register documents. This was done really to, to try to cut down on the element of fraud. Uh, in the old days, uh, of which I'm very familiar <laughs> with, <laughs> in the old days, you'd walk up to the counter at the registry office and you could register just about everything. And, uh, like yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That uh, when my dad uh, bought and sold land, and this was before I was a lawyer, uh, he did a lot of his own conveyancing, huh. where uh, I don't know how he figured it out, <laughs> but he did. And uh, he bought and sold a number of properties, and uh, he only got stung on one. Uh, he really didn't have any title-searching experience, but uh, he, did, he did pretty well. But that's not the case today, that uh, lawyers are, are uh, they're the gatekeepers. They've, they've got to check ID very carefully. Yeah. Uh, and the, the intention is that I should not be able uh, to walk into a lawyer's office who doesn't know me and be able to sell your property or put a mortgage on your house without you knowing me, knowing anything about yeah. it. Yeah. And so if, if the lawyer has to check my ID and if the lawyer's got some responsibility before he, he or she registers any documents on title, uh, that's one way to try to, to restrict the, the number of fraudulent activities that are going on. So uh, lawyers have been charged with that responsibility. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Somebody has got to uh, uh, do their best to... Uh, eliminate uh, fraud from the system. The, the people who are, are doing some of the scams are so smart that, uh, you know, they're always a step or two ahead of us. But if, if the law society and real estate lawyers who are, are working in the area uh, are, are on their toes, we can catch a lot of it. You know, people don't realize of the of the fraud, of the mortgage fraud, of the title fraud that happens. We've done interviews on this show uh, with with professionals in the past. Um, it's definitely an issue, and you're right. It's it's important that uh, you know we, we try and and stem that as as much as we possibly can, isn't it? Well, it's the, you, you do your best, and as I said, uh, we get uh, communiques from the law society and from our insurer law pro regularly. Well, there's a new scam, and you need yeah. to be alert for this. And he, here are the sign signs of it and here's how you respond to it and uh, as I said it seems like people are always a step or two ahead of, of but if it only happens once or twice in the province and then the lawyers are all notified well then the the scam the scam artists have got to think of something else there's times that will come into an issue where one of our clients wants to utilize a certain real estate lawyer but we find out that uh, the other realtors clients is using that that, that lawyer already there's an issue with that, isn't there? There are really strict rules now uh, set by the Law Society over conflicts of interest. I think they're good rules. Yeah. That, uh, you know, you cannot, cannot act for both a vendor and a purchaser unless <clears throat> there are some very restrictive uh, rules. Uh, for instance, if, if uh, the parties are related, <clears throat> if we've got a husband selling to a wife, uh, uh, parents selling to kids, uh, that sort of thing, we're, all, we're, we're okay. Um, there is an exception where uh, the lawyer can act for a purchaser and that purchaser's uh, mortgage company, mm -hmm. provided the mortgage company is in, in, 
an institution. Okay. Uh, so that's an exception. And so uh, there, there are two or three. But other than that, the rule is very strict where I cannot act for both a vendor and a purchaser. And it, it makes sense. It does make complete sense. Because so at that point, they'll do paper, rock, scissor, right? You do what? Paper, rock, scissor to figure out who. <laughs> <laughs> not, not exactly. But it, it, it's good because if then if an issue develops prior to closing or after closing, uh, you've got a lawyer on each side acting only for that client. Yes. And uh, if a lawyer is trying to wear two hats at the same time, no matter how conscientious he or she is going to be, there's going to be a problem. Somebody's going to feel ripped off and unfairly dealt with. You avoid all of that with two lawyers. Love it. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'd like to ask you about uh, exactly what it is the lawyer does prior to closing. So how do you prepare that that transaction? We're also going to get to, to property surveys and title insurance. So we have tons to get to here on the Dan Jemis uh, Real Estate Show with uh, real estate lawyer Robert Milson live in studio. Don't forget, if you have any questions for Mr. Milson, by all means... Give us a call in studio at 519-792-2559, or you can email the questions over to me as well at dan at dangemis.com. Keep it tuned right here to the Dan Jemis Real Estate Show on AM800. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Keep it tuned right here just before the bottom of the hour. We'll have our mortgage tip of the week with RBC Mobile Mortgage Specialist Kyle Lucher. But with us this full hour is real estate lawyer Robert Milson. Now, Bob, after a buyer or a seller has affirmed a deal, so they have uh, accepted the offer and all conditions uh, have been removed, our office at that point will forward um, all the paperwork to the, um, the lawyer's office. Can you explain to us what happens at that point? Sure, sure. Uh, slightly different processes, uh, whether we're acting for the vendor or acting for the purchaser. Uh, we'll deal with the purchaser side first. Um, we send a letter out to the purchaser saying we will need this sort of information from you. Um, ID and uh, here are things that we need for you to do. You've got to set up your utilities. Uh, we've got to set up so, some property insurance for the day of closing. And uh, in the course of uh, a two or three page letter, we try to describe sort of the basics going out to the purchaser. One of the things is title insurance, so we, we give a brief description in our covering letter as to the purpose of that. Then after that letter goes out, we, uh, we start to do our searches. We've got to do a, a search of the title at the registry office. Uh, we, we do some other searches, uh, utilities, uh, sometimes taxes. And uh, so we try to, to uh, put ourselves in a position where we, when we get closer to closing, we can either provide an opinion of title to the client or in the alternative, which is more usual, a title insurance policy mm -hmm. and satisfy the title insurance policy issuer. So that's on, on the purchaser's end. On the vendor's end, uh, send a letter again saying we need this sort of information. Uh, we need to know what property taxes they've paid for the year so we can do the proper adjustment. Um, and uh, we get some old documents from them and we... Uh, from the vendor's point of view, we, we prepare a number of documents, um, undertakings that uh, there aren't any liens on the property and declarations of possession, this sort of thing. And so we get uh, the documentation prepared for uh, the vendor. On the purchaser's side, uh, by this point, we've usually received instructions from the mortgage company. So we prepare the documents between the new purchaser and his or her mortgage company. Uh, to provide the security they need to get the funds uh, for closing and uh, make arrangements for the advance of funds, the registration of those documents. 
you get closer to closing. Uh, we always have the clients in, and uh, we try to meet with them. Uh, well, we always meet with them, and it that's an important meeting. Yeah. That you've got to have the chance to, to speak with people, review figures, review any of their concerns with the property, because very often something will show up at that point that you just didn't know uh, beforehand in the process. It's, it's not in the offer. It's not on the title. Um, and it shows up, well, you know, I, I, I drove by the property and uh, there's a pool of water in the front yard. Is, is, that, <laughs> is, is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't know. I'm so glad you told me. Let, let's get at yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, so uh, you have the, a, a good meeting. And, and every now and then, the client will know <clears throat> what the mortgage terms are supposed to be. And the bank sometimes is one or two steps behind. Yes. And so the client will come say, no, my interest rate is really 2.8%. And the instructions we've got from the bank are 2.95. And it's just because we're a little bit behind and no one no one told us. So the client will come in, we call the bank, and they say, oh, yeah, we didn't get that amendment to you. You get that cleaned up right there. It never causes a problem. But if you don't have that opportunity to meet with the client and go through that in, in some detail, you, you miss it, yeah. and then you try to catch it or fix it later, which is always hard. So you talk of um, title searches. Can you, can you explain to us what that's looking for? Sure. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the old days. The old days were really fun because the, the, uh, the registry office was in a, a building that was about 4,000 years old. It was right by the jail out in Sandwich. It was a one-story building, and uh, you went down these stairs into the basement. If you wanted to use the john, you went past the boiler, and there's all sorts <laughs> of old documents down there. And it was really, really quite a place. And if you wanted to register a document, you had to go there, and everything was paper. And, and some of the documents were like 100 years old or 150 years old, and it was, it was really quite a spot. So we don't do that anymore. It's all electronic. We do it on our computers. Uh, we do registrations on the computers. Um, but most of the titles now are in the land title system, uh, which means that the search is fairly straightforward, and we're looking at uh, title entries from the time they were brought from registry into land titles. Some, ti some titles, maybe 5%, are still in registry, and those are the ones there was a problem uh, with the title, so they couldn't bring them cleanly into land titles qualified, and so you've got to get back into the old registry system. Some of it is still paper registration, and uh, uh, on some of those, I'm glad I'm old because I've seen that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if you're brand new, um, it, it's a little harder. You haven't seen it, which is huge. Okay, when we come back after the news break, let's talk about uh, title insurance and more importantly, property surveys, if we could, Bob. Sure. Uh, and before we head off to break, it's time for our mortgage tip of the week with RBC Mobile mortgage specialist, Kyle Lusher. So what is today's tip? We're going to go through Bank of Canada lowering the rates this week. Yes, yeah, big news this week, isn't it? It is. So tell us about that. Uh, so what they've done is they've lowered the overnight rate to 0 0.50, which really means the prime rate is going to be going down. Okay, so for the average, you know... Uh, Jane and Joe, what what is it, what does that all translate to? So the prime rate change is going to be 015 percent. So essentially, anybody who has variable rate mortgages, lines of credit, they're going to see a decrease, which is huge, hasn't it? And this is the second time this year, or just 
when was the last time? Was it? Uh, this is the second time this year. Yes. Yeah. Which is uh, quite which recently. Is, yeah, which is huge. So um, obviously, as these rates keep decreasing, are we expecting uh, more people to be flocking uh, to new mortgage products? Or it's such a small change that I think we won't see a huge influx of uh, of people. But you know, it is keeping those rates low for longer. So it's definitely going to help a little bit keep. Uh, the cost of borrowing a little bit lower. What do you find most people doing right now? Are they doing uh, fixed or variable? I've seen a big shift going to variable recently. Uh, now that we know it's coming down again, that just shows they're gonna not really increase or at least stay the same for a little bit longer. So if they're gonna do that for hopefully nine months to a year, yeah. it's gonna be staying long, lower for longer. So, What is your advice to any uh, buyers or, or homeowners uh, listening today? Uh, so really the big difference is if you're a first time home buyer, some of them are still sticking with fixed knowing exactly how much interest you're paying over that five years. But, you know, for everybody else uh, that's looking at variable or has it had it in the past, it's still a good option. Is it a good time for those that are just about to come up on renewal, maybe a year away or so, to look at switching or to look at, you know, renewing again? Or? There, there's always that possibility because rates have stayed low for so long and they've continued to come down. You've got those people that still have lower or higher rates. So okay. decreasing that really works. Great tip. Thanks. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. That's RBC Mobile Mortgage Specialist Kyle Usher with our Mortgage Tip of the Week. If you have any mortgage questions or if you'd like to speak with Kyle about mortgage pre-approval, you can find all of his contact information on our website at danjemis.com. Keep it tuned right here to the Dan Jemis Real Estate Show. We have lots more to come with real estate lawyer Robert Milson right after this. Welcome back to the Dan Jemis Real Estate Show, an advertising feature on AM800. For more details on today's guests and show topics or to listen to past shows, visit the Dan Jemis Real Estate Team website at danjemis.com. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us in studio uh, this hour, we have real estate lawyer Robert Milson. We're talking about real estate law. And Bob, we often have clients asking if a seller has a property survey. Now, is it just me or is that getting, you know, harder and harder to find these days? Oh, they're, they're becoming very rare, actually. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons for it is that in uh, the old days, a uh, mortgage company always would require a survey. You know, before they would advance funds. And <clears throat> that was the way that they could protect themselves, that the house was inside the lot lines and that there wasn't a, a, a dispute with respect to boundary lines. And that has really been supplanted now with title insurance. Yeah. And uh, so there are still uh, reasons to get surveys. Um, if you're really concerned about property lines, if, there, if you know there's an area of dispute, uh, an encroachment problem, uh, sometimes there isn't any way around a survey, and uh, so they're still very useful. And we get surveys probably in maybe 2% yeah. of transactions, and so there would be a new survey for that uh, particular property, but all the others where we get title insurance instead, uh, the chances of actually finding a survey are, are getting smaller and smaller. So, so someone can't just go to a township and just say, hey, do you have a survey? Will they have it on file? They usually? wouldn't have one, no. Yeah. One of the most popular questions we get. Um, now we, we talk about title insurance. So give us give us the information on, on title insurance. What is it, and, and why do we have it? Well, title insurance is a really good product. Uh, it arrived uh, about 15 years ago, and it's been used in the United States for years uh, prior to that. But it, it it serves so many useful purposes and keeps uh, expenses uh, to the client uh, to a minimum as well. So 
things that it'll do, it, uh, it, it, it's true to its name. Uh, your title proves you have legal possession to your particular property. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that your title is perfect and you can pass it along to the next purchaser when the time comes. So title insurance uh, covers any defects or problems with past title unless you knew of the problem. So that if you buy the property and you already know the problem, that's one of the exceptions to the title insurance policy. Title insurance policies are like every other insurance policy. Uh, They'll cover this many things and there are exceptions half a dozen or a dozen that you've got to pay attention to. So the sorts of things that it will cover are title problems. It'll cover uh, liens. It'll cover arrears of taxes, arrears of utilities. Uh, It'll cover regulatory problems uh, with the city, such as deficient setbacks, uh, outstanding work orders. And uh, all of those are, are... can be significant problems. In the old days, what we would do is we would send out a letter to the building department, a letter to the public works department. Uh, we'd, we'd find a survey and check it. We would check all of those things ourselves. The difficulty with that approach was sometimes a survey would cost us a thousand bucks or twelve hundred bucks, even back then. Yeah. The letters that we sent out to the various municipalities got to be fifty dollars, and then they got to be seventy-five dollars, and then they got to be eighty dollars. And so that if you send out enough of those letters looking for information and have to buy a survey, your costs can get pretty crazy. We come back to title insurance. Uh, usually the, the cost of a title insurance policy is going to be about $300 or, or, or something less. And uh, it covers a number of the same problems. So that in the old days you'd get a survey, you'd see your lot lines. Well, now with title insurance... If, in fact, your garage encroaches slightly onto the neighbor's or the neighbor's garage encroaches slightly onto your property, uh, and if that becomes a problem uh, for you or in the resale of the property, title insurance will cover that sort of thing. Again, unless you know about it on, yeah. on the way in. And so it's, it's a great product, and uh, we use them in, in almost 100% now of residential transactions. Uh, just because they're they're cost efficient and uh, they work well and and because it's a relatively new product, I guess the insurance companies have been pretty good about covering problems. That was my next question. I get so it's not mandatory, but not. you do have at times people that don't take it. Uh, very rarely now, uh, but it it is not required. So usually a mortgage company or a lender will yeah. will require right. it. But if someone were paying cash and they decided they just didn't want to do it. Um, uh, It's not required. What's interesting is sometimes people who have owned properties for a number of years decide this is such a good product, I would like to have it. So even though they're not purchasing the property, they can take it out then then and and get some of those protections, again, subject to if if, uh, they knew of a problem, coverage isn't going to isn't going to work the other thing is sometimes people will take it out they've, they've added on without permits yes and maybe they know they're into their side yards and then they try to buy title insurance well if you cause your own problem title insurance is not going to cover rightfully so <laughs> rightfully so <laughs> can't, can't really right? argue with that one 
Let, let's talk about uh, defects. So we have a couple types of defects, right? We have a latent and a patent defect. Mm -hmm. Can you can you give folks out there um, an, ex an explanation as to what's what and, and, and why we have those defects, or I guess what people can do about them? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> inspections of the property are really, really important. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know that you recommend all, all purchasers, uh, you know, get this property inspected by uh, a very reputable person, uh, a, a title inspection outfit or somebody who knows property. Yes. Because the, the, the basic rule is buyer beware. And you've got to figure out what the problems are before you write the offer and before you submit the offer. The exceptions to that rule are fairly limited. So that uh, I, again, it just makes it so important that if if there's a problem there, you've got to find it. And the vendor really doesn't have any obligation to tell you of problems that exist. So that if there's a problem existing in the attic or there's a problem buried somewhere in the basement, uh, if the purchaser asks the vendor directly about that problem, the vendor's got to give an answer. And if the vendor lies, that's fraud, mm -hmm. and that's an exception mm -hmm. to the buyer beware mm -hmm. rule. But if the vendor just isn't there or, or says nothing, um, it's really up to the purchaser to make themselves aware wow. as to what's going on. And so the inspections are a really, really important part of the process. So the exceptions to the buyer beware rule are uh, if I'm a vendor and if I misrepresent something to you, um, uh, that uh, gets around the buyer beware rule. Also, if I, if I actively try to hide something. So let's say I've got a real big water problem in my basement and uh, I'm gonna put the house up for sale and every time the thing, every time it rains, I get water in my basement. So what I do is I put in some new drywall, I put in a new rug, I, I move things around, some furniture, whatever I can to hide the problem. If it's very active uh, and I, I have misled you uh, by, by taking active steps, that is also an exception to the buyer beware problem. The difficulty with the exceptions is if you've already bought the house and you've already got the problem and you've already got expenses and money that you've got to spend, you've either spent the money or you've hired a lawyer to try to, to recover yeah. your loss, either way is really expensive. So you're miles ahead to try to figure out the problem before you get in. So really your tip there for, for folks is just to, again, uh, our team, we always recommend a home inspection. Um, so you just to st stick with, with that as much as you possibly can and uncover as many issues as you can beforehand. Absolutely. And, and, and I mean, some clients will do the home inspection and take a family member who's got some knowledge of construction and uh, do a couple of inspections. And the more the better. It's so important at that stage to try to figure out what it is that you're buying. And if it's a used house, I mean, often there are small problems, but that's reflected in the price. So that, uh, you know, you're, you're not buying a new house. You're buying a house that's 30 years old. Yeah. It's got some problems. But then the price isn't the price of a new house. Yeah. It's a 30-year-old. So, so that, that's fair, and that works out. Throughout your years in business, is there anything that sticks out, any kind of very unique situations that you've had? I'm sure you've, I, we've had some, so I'm sure you've, you've got some stories. But anything that really sticks out as to um, um, a, a unique situation that really caught a buyer off guard after buying a property? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Oh, they, <laughs> on live radio. Yeah, they, they come up actually fairly regularly where uh, once you get in there, 
the purchasers are just absolutely amazed. I mean, I mean, we've had basement walls that have been collapsing yeah. uh, behind the brand new drywall where, I mean, the cement blocks have moved three inches, four inches. There are cracks and there are water, but uh, brand new drywall hides, hides a bunch. And that's where the lawsuits start. No kidding. Uh, we had one um, question that was emailed to us uh, yesterday, and it was about vendor take-back mortgages. So when, when someone does not go through the traditional bank to get mm-hmm. uh, a mortgage, can you, can you talk about that a little bit for them? Sure. Um, we, we try to be careful from the vendor's point of view with the vendor take-back mortgages. There's got to be enough equity into the property uh, from the purchaser that it's worth the vendor to take that risk. Because okay. if the mortgage goes bad, the vendor's going to get that property back. So let's say the purchaser's only got 5% in or 10% in, and the purchaser decides uh, they're going to walk away from the house. By the time you the vendor gets the property back and pays for some repairs, uh, the chances of the vendor being made whole get pretty small. So for v- VTBs, I mean, it's got to be at least 10% down and sometimes more, uh, but sometimes the purchaser just can't get financing for one reason or another. And uh, what we'll often do is is sit down with the vendor and go through the same sort of of questions and testing that a mortgage broker, for instance, would go through in trying to qualify a new purchaser. And let's find out about the credit worthiness of this person, why, of the purchaser. Why can't they get a mortgage from a conventional bank? And uh, sometimes the risk is worthwhile. It's still worth doing. Listen, Bob, I, it's been fantastic this hour having you on. Um, you know, I've got a million other questions to ask you. And time is running out. We have our, uh, our, our staging um, tip of the week coming up um, after this. So what do you say we do this on a regular basis? Very, be very glad to do it. It's, it's been fun. I love having you in the studio. Thanks so much for coming out. Uh, and again, uh, if anybody has any questions for you, uh, how do they get a hold of you, Bob? Well, it can reach me at the office. The number is 226-674-1100. Uh, you can uh, reach me at rgmilson at milsonlaw.com. And uh, you can call call anytime. We're, we're there all the time. They're always Bob is always there. Bob doesn't <laughs> sleep. <laughs> We're there a lot. Thanks again, Bob. But great having you on and uh, more after this. You're welcome. It's time for a very popular home staging tip of the week with Monica Bundy. She's the home stager for the Dan Jemis real estate team. Hey, Monica, how are you today? Good, thanks. So today's topic is? Today's topic is the two most important rooms for men from a woman's perspective. Oh, from a woman's? <laughs> you had to throw that in there. Yeah, I did. We just, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we did the two most important rooms for uh, for women, and yes. it was the kitchen and the Bath. bathroom. I thought the walk-in closet would be one of them, but... That was three. We that didn't was get three. to three yet. Okay. <laughs> That's on the next show. Son of a, okay. okay. Okay, so, um, number, so the two most important rooms for men from a woman's perspective. Yes. Now I gotta take a guess. Okay, you tell me. What the you bathroom. <laughs> oh. No? No. <laughs> Not at all. That was Next. Funny. Um, the, was the garage a room? Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, the basement, like the family room in the basement? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like a games room or okay. something like that. So, yeah. So, I would... And you know what? I do. I have to tell you that my husband did give me a little input in, in this. So, well, how nice um, of yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he comes in handy sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So um, garages 
are very are very important, um, especially from a, a man's point of view. They're looking at things a, a space for themselves, um, maybe for a little freedom, whatever, to do their own thing, um, to build. Perhaps they're a mechanic. They work on cars, side business, anything. So a, a nice garage, um, not nothing that's dilapidated, falling down, um, broken windows. Replace those. Garage door doesn't open. Fix that, please. Um, the garage is a very important um, part of the home that I think a lot of people miss. Yes. Um, it's just sometimes a storage unit where they everybody just puts all the the junk and and it is it adds square footage. It's a it's it's important for men. So I do believe that that is uh, I believe that's one for the men. <laughs> I, I I love the idea. Yeah. You know, we just actually ended up uh, getting a shed, buying a shed uh -huh. in the backyard, yep. and we got all the junk out of the garage yep. that, you know, especially in the winter when you're both trying to park yeah. in the garage. Right. Um, you know, a lot of stuff just takes up space. Space, yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, and even, um, well, if you don't have a basement, even the, where's the Christmas stuff going? Yeah. It's all going in your garage. Yeah. So that's that's a good point too. I was going to get onto that as like a uh, 1.2, yeah. um, but your backyard is important too. So e even a little shed, um, just to hold those extra things to free up your garage. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty important too. And then um, number two would be um, either in the basement um, a sec, uh, you know, a second office, like some sort of games room. Again, um, you know, the man cave. That's what everybody's yeah. co uh, coining it now. Um, so, just like in an entertainment room where you know you can go with your buddies, have a couple beers, play some video games, or if you know if the man's not using it, then your kids go down in of there. Course. So. You know, the rec room in the basement. Those are all very important. Um, so, if it's not finished you know, possibly fin finish it off. It'll add value to your home. Uh, and it's just an extra um, li living space, yeah. which is needed. You know, I, those of uh, those of uh, listeners who know me personally know that this past year, I ended up turning a home office room into a movie theater room. Yes. And we shopped around like crazy online, got some great deals. And it wasn't even that. Ex People walk in and say, oh, you must have spent a fortune. Yeah. Mac, actually, no. Think. I got this online for seventy-five dollars. Yeah. And the speakers, I spent you know sixty bucks on each. So, like, I mean, you can spend a fortune right. doing that kind of thing. But if if you shop right online, yep. look for some deals and yep. watch for sales. Yeah. You can. And you people can... walk in there and they're like, "Whoa, look at this added value! Oh, yeah. Holy smokes!" And especially too, I was gonna say, if everything is um, wired, like if you have yes. your wired surround sound and your DVD DVD thing and and all of those other electronics, I hate them by the way. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. all of those electronics are great when, especially when they're all um, already in the walls, and and you just have to plug it in when you move in. You got it. So and, yeah, and as time goes great. on, a lot of stuff is 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 starting to to, to come wireless. Or, yeah, you know, so yep. it's Agreed. it's huge. It's easy. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. So those are the two for uh, for the men. Well, that's okay. that's not a bad choice. Yeah. And, what would you say? Uh, what would you say? You, you, know you did agree to those. For but. me, yeah. For me at home is definitely the garage is a huge one. Mm -hmm. um, home office for me yeah. just because of what I do yeah. obviously is important right. Right. but it's not that important because I, I got rid of mine <laughs> and turned it into a movie room <laughs> well see which, but then you're into the game games room movie room yes you got it thing. so, so it, yeah I love it's very important things. very important that's what men are looking for can't so, go wrong yeah. thanks for the great tip today no problem oh and just before we uh before we let you go Monica you have a big event you are also most people don't know you're the general manager with the uh, Amherstburg Chamber of Commerce yes that's and right. you have a huge event happening next weekend tell us about it so big it's going, going to be so exciting it's the Mardi Gras street party um and 
the Chamber, uh, Amherstburg Chamber of Commerce, along with Ian France Entertainment and Events, is yeah. is putting on this event. It's it's our main fundraiser for the for the Chamber of Commerce, and um, it's going to be so awesome. We're closing the streets, closing Dalhousie Street from the CIBC to the Legion, um, a little bit up Richmond to Precision Jewelers, and a little bit up Murray Street. Uh, we are going to have three bands on Friday night, three bands on Saturday night. Um, it is uh, Supernatural, Stiletto Fire, uh, Tara Watts is Friday night, and the Funk Junkies and the 519 Band is on Saturday Saturday night. Uh, the event goes from um, Friday and Saturday is from 5 p.m. to midnight. Wow. And yeah, oh, it's going to be so much fun. And then Saturday, which is going to be a hoot We're, we have like a family it's all going to be a hoot I, say, it's I know like it's so much time. fun <laughs> um, Saturday is awesome we have a little family fun day from 11 till 4pm and so bring the kids there's going to be um, face painting uh, balloon artists magicians um, Audrey Festeriga has uh, she's she has some masks out there in front of her office and the kids can draw on the masks cool. and then wear their masks and so it's just going to be a lot of fun um, the rest restaurants will be open the, uh, the Legion will be serving um food artisan grill lord amherst uh the espresso cafe the royal sushi place um and then we've got creoles coming in which is so exciting and if you've eaten at creoles it's amazing um so creoles will be having will be part of our um beer tent we're calling it so yeah there'll there'll be uh beer wine some specialty new orleans drinks like hurricanes rum punches things like that uh jerk chicken jambalaya um, oh my gosh, anything. If there's anything if, and everything. If there's one thing you can count on with Amherstburg is that they always have amazing festivals, yes. amazing events. You guys do yes. such a great job out there. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's you be know, great. there are so many great restaurants. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, that the businesses are taking advantage of this. Yeah. And, and well, that's what we're doing it for. Um, we're doing it for the business in the downtown. Um, we want it just to be packed. We want, you know, just so many people down there seeing what's down, seeing what's down here. Some of the retail shops will be open. So make sure you, you know, you get in there and, and buy something like that's what we're doing it for. That's what the chamber's, you know, job is to just get people into town and, and have them spend some money. And Love it's it. going to be a great, great weekend. There'll be beads, um, jugglers, flamethrowers, magicians, um, masks, you name Anything it. Anything you'd find in uh, in New Orleans, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Almost. 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 We're not sure how far it's going to go, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. You never know. <laughs> tell, us, tell, us about, uh, tell us about tickets. Uh, oh, pricing. yes. Yeah, tickets. Uh, $15 in advance, $20 at the gate, okay. and we have a two-day pass for $25 for the two-evening event. So you can get tickets at the Gordon House in Amherstburg, which is at 268 Dalhousie. Okay. Um, Pieta Terre, which is just um, on Dalhousie Street, too. She's selling tickets. Dorothy's selling tickets there there um at south detroit restaurant in windsor it's right on olette and also at shots and slices which is at the um um the little mini golf on highway three yeah. the silver tea there yeah, yeah. and then you can also go under amherstburgstreetparty.com and all the information will be on there there's a map there's our times there's the bands um and you can buy your tickets online there for a small service charge so then you just print fun. it out bring it in we you bring it to us we scan it and you're in how awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are tickets needed for the family portion? No, okay. no. You just come in for that. Fantastic. So, yeah, that's, It'll uh, be that's lots free. of fun. I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah. to seeing everybody out there. Yeah, it's going to be great. Thanks for all the great info. Thank you.
It's Monica Bundy, the home stager for the Dan Jemis real estate team. Now, I still have Robert Milson in the office with me. I uh, In the office, in the studio. <laughs> not in the office today. Um, and we have a couple minutes. So I want to squeeze in. We had one more question come in uh, by phone while I was talking with uh, with Monica. Um, so if you don't mind, Bob. Oh, of course. You uh, tried to make me leave and I wouldn't. So <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> here we are. Somebody called and asked, when should sellers disclose something up front? And that's a huge question. Uh, realtors may not like my answer to this one. Uh-oh. Um, we, we would advise vendors to be very honest, but not provide uh, a lot of extra information. And there's a particular disclosure form that some realtors use uh, that covers everything in the world. And vendors, in attempting to go through that list and, and, and answer, sometimes will inadvertently create a legal problem or a legal liability for themselves because essentially they're painting their houses as being perfect and the house is 30 years old and it isn't. So if I have the opportunity to talk to the vendor prior to that document being signed, I'll advise that vendor not to sign it. So you're referring to the SPIS form, the uh, the property identification, the the um, uh, identification form that you know we don't see very much in the industry anymore because lawyers have been frowning so much upon it for the exact reason that you're mentioning. The form asks a seller about um, any water issues, any um, known issues with the, the property lot line, any like a whole bunch of very specific questions that even if they didn't know and they answered that one box incorrectly, they could be held liable. They could create liability for themselves, which really shouldn't be there. Yeah. And so we, we try to be quite careful and say to the vendor, look, you will never lie. There will be no misrepresentations. But you don't need to volunteer a whole bunch of information. That is up to the purchaser to figure out through their inspections and, and through their due diligence processes. So again, what, what information should be brought up by a seller to uh, a buyer? Well, let's say there was a, a, a flooding problem in the basement, yep. um, and and it was obvious. Anybody's going to walk down there is going to see, uh, you know, some uh, dampness or, or indications of flooding, then deal with it up front. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be volunteering really any extra information. Now, um, if you're representing the buyer, we have 45 seconds. If you're representing the buyer, what would you say to that to that buyer? How would you best represent that buyer? So obviously the opposite. You want as much information from the seller as you possibly can get. That's correct. And as much of it by way of email and, and written. So that if you uh, send a communication saying, you know, I noticed some uh, black spots in, in the basement. Uh, is there any mold? Do you have a water problem? Then try to get all of that information back in writing. The verbal part isn't so good because maybe you have to prove that, that was really said. Yeah. Uh, emails are a wonderful uh, record and get as much information like that as you can. Again, in, in nine cases out of 10, you're just trying to avoid a problem that's not there. But if there is a problem, let's find out about it. Bob, great information. Thank you so much for coming in today. And I look forward to doing this again. Oh, I'd be glad to. It was fun. Any questions for Bob, you can find his contact information on our website at danjemis.com. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Dan Jemis Real Estate Show, an advertising feature on AM800. If you thought about selling or buying a home in the future, the Dan Jemis Real Estate team would love to help. Visit the team's website at danjemis.com or call the office seven days a week, 519-566-5565.